Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hello. Hello. Yeah. How are you going? I think they're ready. You think they're ready? Yep. Should we go? Yep. Hi, I'm Simon Morton, and I've had 120 today. And I'm Alison Balance, and I've had 250 today. How many have you had? We're talking milligrams of vitamin C, because this is the science of vitamin C. And I'd like to introduce our special guests today. We have Bubble and Squeak. Vitamin C is the most important healing vitamin of all. Its powers are legendary for erasing everything from wrinkles to cancer. Uh, I know that vitamins are very important. I take vitamin C pills when I'm sick. Vitamins are things that our bodies can't make for themselves, so we need to get them in our diet. We all get a bit of vitamin C every week, usually just orange juice. Vitamin C is at the hub of almost every biological function that we know. I don't know, it works. I mean, it, it works. It healthier. I don't I actually know what it does. <laughs> Personally, I take a supplement when I have a cold and I would recommend it to people. Yeah, I think it's got something to do with the uh, uh... vitamin C. That's uh, what's that, the sun? So we're not at the point of being able to say to people, yes, vitamin C cures cancer. Oh God, no. No, definitely not. No, I don't take any supplements. We've got look, lovely tangelo oranges. I bought some yesterday. You know, the ones with the little knob on the end. I wish I could sell with Captain Cook after eating one of those. I'll be right. No scurvy. Vitamin C, we've all heard of it, and if you don't get enough of it, you'll die. Now, whether you call it vitamin or vitamin, how does our body use it? And if you want to stay healthy, how many milligrams of vitamin C do you really need every day? And what's the best way of getting it? And can taking a vitamin C supplement really stop you getting a cold? Can vitamin C cure cancer? But first of all, what is vitamin C? Well, obviously it's a vitamin. That's a molecule that we need, but we can't produce ourselves. And the best way to get it is to eat it. Now, we've known for centuries that this mysterious substance is found in fruits like oranges and lemons, and that if you don't get enough of it, you'll get scurvy. We just didn't know exactly what it was. Scientists identified and made the molecule in the 1930s, and they called it ascorbic acid, which basically means anti-scurvy. Another form of it's called ascorbate, but whether it's ascorbate or ascorbic acid, it's all vitamin C. And vitamin C is really well known as an antioxidant, and this means it stops things oxidising. Now, we need oxygen to survive. It's a good thing. But there is a downside, as oxygen's pretty reactive and causes rust, like a rusty bike chain or the browning of an apple. That's all oxidation, and we don't want to go rusty, and vitamin C keeps us rust-free. Now, we get Vit C from food, but how does our body actually get it out of the food to where it's needed? Professor Marguerite Visses is the director of the Centre for Free Radical Research at the University of Otago in Christchurch. She leads a team investigating the role of vitamin C in health. 
the food is broken down in your gut and there are specific vitamin C transporters that line our entire intestine. They will take up all the vitamin C from our food. They transport it into the circulation, so into your bloodstream. And as it goes through your bloodstream, it will come into contact with all the cells in your body. Those cells also have transporters. And so each cell will accumulate or concentrate the vitamin C from the blood. And so the concentration of vitamin C in the circulation is regulated by the intake, so by those receptors from the gut. And then each time your blood passes through your kidneys, the kidneys will re-uptake the vitamin C. So the vitamin C will pass out and then it gets taken back up. And it will only be taken back up if your plasma level is below 100 micromolar. That's what we call plasma saturation. So your blood becomes saturated. Anything over and above that, it will just pass into your urine. I often describe it as a little bit like a dry sponge. So if your tissues are deplete and you add vitamin C in, then your tissues will absorb all that vitamin C and your blood level won't rise until the tissues have got enough. Then they stop taking it up. Your blood reaches 100 micromolar and any excess will pass out. That's the scenario that we think is the optimal for good health. So our kidneys are these amazing recycling machines and if you eat too much vitamin C, you'll just pee it out. And this can happen really quickly. Half of the vit C that you consume is gone after two hours. So how much vitamin C do we need to eat each day to get our blood into that good, saturated, wet sponge state? It's a very interesting question. (laughs) And it's a question that's been debated ever since we discovered vitamin C almost 100 years ago. It was the first question that was asked at the time. And the amount that was put about at, at that time was that we needed the minimum amount to avoid scurvy. That's a very low amount. So it's only something like 20 milligrams a day will be enough for people to not show the rank signs of scurvy, which is a deadly disease where you'll die within weeks. So in order to not die, you need 20 milligrams a day. Since then, the debate has raged over how much do we need and should we actually be at saturation level. And for that, how much we need on a daily basis depends on what our state of health is. So for a normal, healthy person like me at the moment, don't have a cold or anything, I need 200 milligrams a day will keep me at saturation level. If I get a cold or I get sick, my body's going to be consuming vitamin C at a faster rate. That's interesting because the official recommended daily intake, the RDI for Australia and New Zealand, is just 45 milligrams a day. It's a bit higher in some other countries, but our RDI is really low. Yeah, it is low, isn't it? When experts like Marguerite and even the Ministry of Health say that 200 milligrams a day is ideal. Most New Zealanders only consume half of that every day. That's 100 milligrams on average. So if you're trying to hit that 200 milligram level of vitamin C, which foods are best? Uh, which fruit or veg most vitamin C? Um, well, lemon, I guess. Great. I'd go apples. Not an orange. Pineapple. Banana? 
Nope. Apple? Nope. Lemon, maybe? Black currant? Um, kiwi fruit? It's not orange. No. Is it a strawberry? Grapefruit? Lemon? Well, I guess citruses. Mm. Orange. Peach. Blueberry. Kiwi. Apple. <laughs> it's not something weird like a star fruit or something, is it? Uh, Fijawa. Bananas. Uh, mandarin. Oranges. Uh, peaches. Oh, tamarillo. Apples. Kiwi fruit or oranges? I would guess limes or lemons. I'm all lost in the supermarket. I no longer shop now, the Ministry of Health, Simon, puts out eating and activity guidelines, which is evidence-based for doctors to help people eat healthily. And they say that New Zealanders get just over a quarter, that's 25% of our vitamin C from vegetables and non-alcoholic drinks, another quarter from fruit, and then 13% from potatoes and kumara. That's bizarre. I know, it surprises me too. But So let's go shopping. Let's grab some of these fruits and vegetables and actually see how much vitamin C they got in them. Well, we're at a supermarket, so can I do fruit? I'll do vegetables. Let's go. And the Ministry of Health suggests four fruits that are particularly high in vitamin C. The first one of those is strawberries. I want to pick strawberries. I'm going to start by grabbing a head of broccoli. Kiwi fruit. Some spinach as I pass, a bag of that. Oranges, I guess that's an obvious one. A potato and a kumara. Melon. Green pepper and a red pepper because I like those quite a lot. Apples. Carrots. And then New Zealand's favourite fruit, bananas. And I might choose a lemon as well. We'll find exactly how much vitamin C is in those recommended foods and what you should have in your shopping basket if you're trying to hit that 200 milligram mark later in the programme. But Simon, those lemons you grabbed, they've been a go-to food for centuries for preventing scurvy. Thousands of sailors died from scurvy until people like Captain Cook in the late 1700s began taking citrus fruit on board. He also took sauerkraut. Yum! And that nickname, Limeys, for British people, started because sailors had lemons and limes as part of their ration packs. Vitamins and minerals can help you on your way. They're in vegetables, berry foods, meat... I'm not one of those people who believes in the miracle properties of vitamin C in terms of staving off colds and all that sort of stuff. I believe that that research was a bit discredited. Don't want to get scurvy, on the other hand. Do you know anyone who's had scurvy? I do know someone who's had scurvy. He is a testament to how the student diet and student lifestyle can go poorly. He um, had very little money, and so throughout his uh, about a year of his degree, he ate nothing but pretty much rice. And then he ended up being a New Zealander at age 19 with scurvy. Scurvy in New Zealand? <laughs> yes, we are still getting scurvy here. And in low-income areas of the United States, apparently 12% of people had levels of vitamin C in their blood low enough to suggest scurvy. 12%. These days you don't usually die from scurvy, but it sounds thoroughly awful. Tiredness, bleeding gums, your teeth fall out, joint pain, bruising, shortness of breath, swelling, heart problems. And scientists only worked out how a lack of vitamin C actually causes scurvy in the 1960s. 
when they began to realise that vitamin C is not just an antioxidant. It's really important in various enzyme processes in our body. So as well as keeping you rust-free, those enzymes, they need vitamin C. Now, enzymes are catalysts, so they speed up reactions. Enzymes help us make things that we need to stay alive. And it turns out that lots of these enzymes stop working when your vitamin C levels get low. The first of these enzymes was identified in the 1960s, and it's the collagen synthesis enzyme. Everybody knows that vitamin C is good for your skin, and people actually put it in creams and try and rub it on from the outside. But its role with that enzyme that gives it that function, so what it's really good at doing is, is enhancing the collagen production that forms the basal layer of your skin. Now, without vitamin C, that doesn't work very well. So basically, you fall apart. But it's not just the collagen enzyme. What we now know is that there are probably 70 or 80 of these enzymes in our body, and they all have different functions. They cover a whole raft of biological activities from the growth of blood vessels through to the regulation of our genetic code. And so vitamin C is at the hub of almost every biological function that we know. Well, so it's super, super important. We get our vitamin C from plants, but how do plants make it and why do they need it? Well, they need it because they've got a rust issue of their own and it's happening mostly in the leaves because that's where photosynthesis happens. And basically those leaves have become antioxidant factories churning out lots of vitamin C. Now the plants are using photosynthesis to produce energy, glucose, and that's actually what vitamin C is made from. So those clever plants are making vitamin C out of sugar? They sure are, and it's quite a complicated process. You can think of it as a pathway, and there's 10 steps to get you from glucose to vitamin C. So it's a bit like a recipe, and you have to add the right ingredients, those enzymes, exactly at the right stage, and voila, the plant produces vitamin C. But didn't we used to make our own vitamin C? What happened? Yep, until 60 or so million years ago, our ancestors made VITC, just like many animals still do today either in their kidneys or their livers. And in animals, it's not exactly the same pathway. It starts the same, just takes a different route to get to ascorbic acid. Now, what happened was a mutation in the gene that controls the final step in that pathway. Obviously, it wasn't a fatal one, as we can usually get enough C from the food, so it just stuck. Are we humans the only ones who can't make vitamin C? No, there are other groups of animals that have also had the same mutation, in the same gene, but that just happened at different times. So the ones who can't make their own vitamin C are all our cousins, the primates and the monkeys. Some birds, bats, bony fish. So a shark can, but a goldfish can't. Yep. (laughs) And this is where our special studio guests come in. I'd like you to meet Bubble and Squeak. I've already met Bubble. She's a guinea pig. And like us, these guys can't produce vitamin C. So it's all down to the food they consume. And I'm wondering how much vitamin C is actually in grass, which probably forms the bulk of their diet. I don't know the answer to that, but what I can tell you is we can find out what's in our shopping basket. So which veggies actually have the most vitamin C? You all right, bubs? Avocados. Kale. Tomato. Peas. I know carrots and oranges have vitamin C. Carrot. 
pumpkin. Brussels sprout. Avocado. Broccoli. I don't know. Yeah, I thought I'd be better at this. Um, beans. Confused? You won't be for long. Just to remind you, Alison and I have been to the supermarket shopping for four fruits and vegetables recommended by the Ministry of Health for high levels of vitamin C. We threw in a few extras and now we're going to find out exactly what's in those foods and we're using the New Zealand food composition tables. These tables are produced by Plant and Food Research and they cover every food type you can think of. And every cooking method, fried, boiled, roasted, they include it. The first thing I got was strawberries, and one cup of strawberries will deliver 80 milligrams of vitamin C. Not bad when you consider we're aiming for 200. Oranges, they're 70 an orange, so only three of those and you've hit your target. Melon, honeydew, 86 milligrams a cup. That's really surprising. I didn't know about that. Good to know. Kiwi fruit next, one green, 63 milligrams, one gold, 90, and sun gold, which is still a gold variety, a whopping 130 milligrams. I also grabbed an apple, 8 milligrams, very low, banana, 5.5, even lower, and a lemon at 33 milligrams. And for you juice heads out there, one cup of raw orange juice is 130 milligrams. Now, something that we didn't end up grabbing because we'd have had to go to the freezers for it, black currants. One cup of frozen Bernard black currants, drum roll, please. 290 milligrams. And interesting that frozen fruits sometimes have higher level than fresh fruits because the vitamin C is so volatile it breaks down when it's being moved around the country and stored. And a bit of a warning here, vitamin C can be lost when you're cooking foods. Anywhere up to a half can disappear, so beware. That's really important to keep in mind with veggies. Now on the Ministry of Health list for vegetables, broccoli. One cup of boiled broccoli, 93 milligrams, quite good. Potatoes, one large boiled, 13 milligrams. I think you'd need a few of those on your plate to get even part of the way to 200 milligrams. Kuma are those a bit better, 66 milligrams. Spinach, one cup of boiled spinach, 1.8 milligrams. That's pathetic. It is, isn't it? You'll need a truckload of spinach. I'm surprised it's even on that Ministry of Health list. Not on the Ministry of Health list, but coming in rather well are capsicums. A green one's 32 milligrams, but a red one is outstanding, 240 milligrams. Carrots, on the other hand, everyone's favourite go-to vegetable. One carrot's only 1.7 milligrams. So there's loads of variation in how much vitamin C there is in different fruits and veggies. But it's pretty easy to get a good plateful of Vit C. All you got to do is eat some cabbage, maybe some Brussels sprouts, drop the spinach. And if you're trying to hit that 200 milligrams of vitamin C a day, then we recommend red capsicum, gold kiwi fruit, and black currants. And sorry that we've bombarded you with so many numbers, but there's a list on our webpage right now with those levels of vitamin C for fruits and veggies. RNZ.co.nz. And by the way, scientists at Plant and Food Research are working to create a super kiwi fruit. They made the gold and green kiwi fruit, and they have a third kind of kiwi fruit that has about 800 milligrams of vitamin C. Unfortunately, they say it's bland and hairy. But they know what genes are responsible, and they're going to use that information to speed up the process of creating a super kiwi fruit breed that could be as good as a vitamin C pill. Speaking of which, 
You can't just run to the store and buy a big bottle of vitamin C because that's synthetic ascorbic acid isolate made in a lab. In fact, taking the wrong vitamin C can lead to everything from hair falling out to heart problems. And I'll get more of that. Do you take uh, supplements, Alison? No. My mum used to feed them to me when I was a kid when she thought I was getting a cold. Now I tend to think it's just a way of making expensive urine. Uh, what about you? Not now, but same deal when I was a kid. Mum used to give them to me every day. They were sort of chewy orange things. I used to love them. You weren't alone. Nearly a third of New Zealanders regularly take supplements, and Vit-C is one of the most popular kinds. Half of Americans take them, and they spend more than $20 billion a year on supplements. That's a lot of money, but is there any difference in the quality of vitamin C, whether it comes from food or a supplement? Dr Anitra Carr from the Centre for Free Radical Research at the University of Otago in Christchurch is looking at this issue. Foods contain other compounds such as bioflavonoids, which are potent antioxidants and could potentially protect vitamin C from becoming oxidised because vitamin C is very sensitive to oxidation. That's why it's a really good antioxidant. It's really good at scavenging oxidants, and so it's it's readily oxidised. And so the thought is that these other compounds in the fruit would protect vitamin C during its uptake, and so you'd get more vitamin C taken up into your body. And some animal studies did show a difference between vitamin C and pills. Uh, Our human studies have shown absolutely no difference between getting your vitamin C from a food versus a pill. You get the same amount taken up into your body. Well, that's great to know, and it makes me feel better about taking a supplement. They cost a fortune, though. I wonder if we could buy some in bulk. What I've done here is gone online and done a search for vitamin C. Okay, where are you? Well, the first place I've landed is Alibaba.com, which is a big supermarket in the sky. My understanding is based in China. And most of the suppliers here are, in fact, in China, which I imagine is the sort of centre for the industrial production of vitamin C. It is where most of it's made? Hey, do you know how it's made? I don't. I can't imagine that they squeeze it out of oranges. No, that's right. (laughs) Corn, wheat, rice, all these starch-based things, and then they convert it to a form of glucose, which becomes a form of something called desorbitol, and then they ferment it. It's an enormous fermentation process. Oh, really? So they're using microbes to essentially make vitamin C? Yeah, and they make hundreds of thousands of tonnes of the stuff. Well, talking of hundreds of thousands of tonnes of the stuff, lo and behold here, when I look at the browser here, I have got ascorbic acid, vitamin C, a thousand kilograms minimum order, and then we go down here, 50 kilograms of ascorbic acid, we've got food grade. And so these are fairly large scale volumes that could be interesting trying to get this through customs. So I thought, well, I'll look locally. And lo and behold, here in Trade Me, we have images of mounds of white powder, the healing properties of pure vitamin C for horses. <laughs> Well, forget the horses. I'm keen to give it a go. So I'm going to go through and actually buy half a kilo of pure ascorbic acid. I'll get it sent to Radio New Zealand that way if they are concerned about the large volume of white powder. They can deal with Jeanette on reception. Kia ora, welcome to Radio New Zealand. Thanks, Jeanette, and hopefully that package will show up. We'll find out a bit later. So do we need to take supplements every day? I would always recommend a kiwi fruit first. You don't need a supplement above and beyond a good healthy diet. Single nutrient nutrition is never a good idea. And even though you will be restoring one component, you're going to miss out on all the other good things that there are in fruit and vegetables. But what if you've got a sniffle or a tickly throat, you know, a cold is approaching? If I've got a cold or I'm feeling like I'm going to get a cold, I'll have more vitamin C than usual in that week. A lot of oranges, for instance. Well, my mum tells me to take one every day and then that keeps me healthy, but 
I don't know why or how. Uh, well, they always say take vitamin C when, you know, when you're sick and all that sort of stuff. So that's just what people say. I tend to get my vitamin C in fruit and what I eat. However, when I have been, like, unwell or if my, I'm not eating very well, um, then I do take a vitamin supplement for vitamin C. We take extra supplements, though, in winter. Yeah, just in winter. Yeah, just to give us an extra boost. I've got three small kids that sometimes don't eat as many fruit and veggies as you'd like them to, so... I haven't personally found that vitamin C helps me with getting over a cold. That's the big question, really. Should we take vitamin C for a common cold? It's something that the Cochrane Report has studied. They've looked at all the research out there. And when it comes to vitamin C and colds, they say the evidence is rather underwhelming. Basically, if you take regular vitamin C supplements, you'll get the same number of colds, although they won't last as long. There was also a small number of studies where people exposed to short periods of extreme physical stress, and we're meaning marathon runners and skiers here, if they took vitamin C, it halved their risk of getting a cold. But what about once you've already got a cold? Well, the Cochrane Report says that if you start popping pills once you're already sneezing and snuffling, your cold will still last just as long and be just as bad. But there's lots of problems with this data. Most of the studies have been poorly designed. A lot of studies just recruit people off the street who have adequate vitamin C levels already. You give them some vitamin C, of course it's not going to have an effect because they already have adequate levels. I mean, it's, it seems so intuitive, but it's, you know, it's not, a, not addressed in many studies. And there's nearly 60,000 studies published on PubMed alone. I mean, a lot of it is contradictory because of the study designs. Believe it or not, I find this very hard to believe because hundreds of thousands of people have been looked at with vitamin C interventions when they have a common cold. I can't find a single study where anyone has measured levels in a person with a cold to see how deplete they get if they weren't taking a supplement. We suspect that your levels drop and that that's why you run to the vitamin C counter and buy your, your supplement pills or you go make lemon drinks or you make sure you're getting more citrus um, when, when you have a cold because your body is consuming more vitamin C than normal. Possibly you need a gram or more a day when you have a cold to maintain your body at that level. No one's ever looked. And this seems to be a bit of a theme here, that the studies and the way they've been designed have been problematic with regards to finding out if vitamin C is effective. And it goes right back to what's considered to be the very first clinical trial ever which concerned vitamin C. So James Lind was a British military surgeon and he devised an experiment in 1747 to test his idea that acids would cure scurvy. So the ship had been at sea for two months, everyone had scurvy, and 12 sailors were given possible cures. Two of them got oranges and lemons. The others got either cider, sulfuric acid, vinegar, a spicy paste and some barley water, or, poor souls, half a pint of seawater. The trial was called off after five days because they ran out of fruit. But by then, one of the orange and lemon sailors was back on duty, and the other was nearly better too. Oh, pity the guys who had to scull seawater. But despite all of those poorly designed clinical trials, what does Marguerite do when she gets a cold? Personally, I take a supplement when I have a cold and I would recommend it to people for that reason. There is good evidence that if you take it early in particular, you will limit the severity of the cold. 
The other more important reason for doing that, I believe, is that not only will you shorten the symptoms, but the most black and white result that has been shown is that you will not go on to develop pneumonia. If you measure vitamin C levels of people on admission to hospital for any reason whatsoever, they all come in on the verge of scurvy. A number of people die from pneumonia. Those deaths are preventable by giving vitamin C to those patients, as are deaths from other acute trauma injuries. So burns patients are often supplemented with with vitamin C. So your body is undergoing a massive battle in those circumstances. So the more ill you are, the harder your body is having to fight to maintain you alive. Vitamin C is involved in so many of those processes that when you become deplete, you're basically not giving your body a fighting chance. Christchurch Hospital is about to start a trial in intensive care looking at people who have had pneumonia and gone on to develop a raging infection known as sepsis. If you develop sepsis, which is the body's just having this uncontrolled response to that infection, your levels drop further, your organs start shutting down, you have to be admitted to intensive care and you can really develop septic shock, just really low blood pressure and those are the major killers of critically ill patients with sepsis and septic shock. And a few recent studies carried out in the United States and elsewhere in the world have shown that giving high dose vitamin C, and by high dose I mean you know 10 to 20 grams, that uh, you can significantly improve the, the patient's organ function and a couple of studies also shown significantly decrease their uh, mortality, so decrease their death rates. So we want to carry out a study in Christchurch Hospital ICU to try and reproduce these results and try and work out the mechanisms, how it's working in the body. Anitra talked about using doses of about 10 grams in those people. We've also heard lots about mega high doses of vitamin C and that idea started in the 1970s. It was a double Nobel Prize winning chemist, Linus Pauling, who extolled the virtues of regular mega doses of vitamin C. I contend that high doses of vitamin C are valuable for people no matter what is wrong with them. Pauling also believed that ultra-high doses of vitamin C taken intravenously, i.e. injected, would cure cancer. New Zealand's own science superstar, the late Sir Paul Callaghan, was very public about his experiment with intravenous high-dose vitamin C to treat his own late-stage cancer, but he was also equally public about the fact that it didn't work. And I'm now able to say, you know, with some certainty, that in my particular case, intravenous high-dose vitamin C was of no benefit. Uh, Of course, unfortunately, you can't get information about the effectiveness of medicines on uh, tests on one individual. You've got to do proper clinical trials. And therein lies the big problem. To date, there have been no credible, well-designed clinical trials to properly test whether very high doses of VITC delivered intravenously cure cancer in people. There have been promising results, but mostly carried out in petri dishes or lab animals. But Associate Professor Gabby Dax from the University of Otago in Christchurch is conducting trials with real people. It's a very controversial field for some reason, which I think dates back to probably the late 70s when Linus Pauling and colleagues first tested it in um, late-stage cancer patients. And they presented data that was very convincing at the time that patients 
that got high-dose vitamin C infusions lived a lot longer. However, it was a poorly designed study in that they didn't have proper controls. They compared that group of patients to a group of patients that wasn't treated but was done at a different time, so under different conditions and under different um, clinical treatments. So it was really hard to compare these two groups of patients. So then the Mayo Clinic in America went and did a, a proper kind of double-blind placebo-controlled trial, which is now the standard in clinical trials, and they used oral vitamin C, so by pill, and they saw absolutely no difference between the two groups, the ones that received it or not received it. And it took 20 years before somebody then looked at it and said, actually, is there a difference with the amount of vitamin C that your body actually gets in if you give it um, in a pill form or whether you get it injected? And there is up to 200-fold difference in the amount of vitamin C that your body takes up when you have it injected. So that sort of opened the field again, which up to that point had been killed dead. So you can get up to 200 times more vitamin C in your blood through an injection because simply by delivering it straight into the blood, you bypass the usual gut absorption system and you can generate really high levels of Vit-C. As we've heard, vitamin C doesn't last that long in the body. So why would getting a really high blood level of Vit-C be a good thing? Well, that's exactly what Gabby and her team are hoping to discover. We have a wonderful resource here in Christchurch, which is the Cancer Society Tissue Bank, with over 10,000 patient samples in it. So we started actually measuring the amount of vitamin C in cancer patient tumours. So we've looked at breast cancer, colorectal cancer, uh, endometrial, so that's the uh, cancer of the uterus, and in, in kidney cancer. They measured vitamin C levels in the tumour and also in nearby healthy tissue, and they ranked the cancer according to how aggressive it was cancers that we've looked at so far, we've actually seen that the tumours that have more vitamin C in them had less of these aggressive factors in them. Now, that's not to say that we know that vitamin C causes this. This is an association. In seven or so years after surgery, patients who had had more vitamin C in their tumour had better results. Gabby's now followed this up with a small clinical trial in which people about to have cancer surgery agreed to a few days of ultra-high vitamin C beforehand. This simply allowed the researchers to find out how much of that vitamin C was taken up by the tumour. And because they had a biopsy from before the surgery, they had a before and after comparison. We could tell for the first time is that if you inject it, it reaches the tumour, and that's really important to try and unravel what it could possibly be doing. But this still doesn't prove that high vitamin C cures cancer, does it? At this stage, we still have no evidence that it improves anything about the tumour. We have associations that look hopeful, but I certainly would not advise anybody to change what their oncologist or their normal practitioner would tell them. On the other hand, there seems to be no evidence that it could be bad for you. This is a promising new avenue, but it hasn't been proven yet. So until we actually have that proof, I'd still be quite careful. So we're not at the point of being able to say to people, yes, vitamin C cures cancer? Oh, God, no. No, definitely not. No. We also have mice that we tested in, and in, in mice we can't even cure a cancer. So how can we cure it in a patient? So it's the usual buyer beware. If it sounds too good to be true... 
than it usually is. And despite all of the hype, it does turn out to be an incredibly interesting and important molecule. We call vitamin C the Renaissance vitamin. You know, we knew all about it, but actually it turns out we didn't know anything like what was possible. We're at the point now where we can begin to explain the biology behind what people have experienced probably over centuries, that they feel better when their bodies have optimal vitamin C. Susceptibility to chronic disease is less, they have more energy, they have better brain function, their moods are lifted, you know, all of these things where people just say, I just feel great. And it's because it's not just one thing happening, there's many things happening in your body that are all supported by this one marvellous little molecule. I've got millions of marvellous molecules right here because the vitamin C that we ordered online, the half a kilo bag, and lo and behold, it's in a Ziploc bag, is here. And I'm going to have a, a, a taste of it. Dip my finger in it. I'm expecting it to be orangey for some reason. Oh, I don't, oh. I don't oh, think wow. so. Always screwing up his face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's mouth-puckeringly bitter. Squeak, what do you reckon? <laughs> no, I don't think she wants any. She might like this carrot instead. But she's not going to get much vitamin C from it. Well, this half kilo that I bought online, even though it tastes disgusting, I guess what I've realised is that there is some value in taking supplements if you want to reduce the duration of a cold. But given what we know about our body and the fact that our kidneys are always trying to regulate it, rather than having a mega dose, I'll just eat a little all the time, which is pretty much what I do today. I might just eat more kiwi fruit, red peppers and black currants, and luckily I like all of those things. I'm Alison Balance. I'm Simon Morton and this was the Science of Vitamin C. Thanks to Bubble and Squeak Scott, and no guinea pigs were harmed in the making of this podcast. Which you can find on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and like us, it really helps more people find us. And do check out all of the episodes of The Science Of, drop into rnz.co.nz. Cheers. Bye. Do you think the guinea pigs might be a bit hungry, Richard? I don't know. They seem quite pleased. I mean, I think this has probably been the biggest day of their lives. They got an Uber taxi with me into work. And since then, lots of people have been cuddling them. They've come into the studio. They've met you guys. They've had their photo taken. They've had videos done. The kids are so excited. They're actually going to be on the radio, too. I think they might need a bit of cabbage, though. I'm really pleased you packed them a lunch. Here you go. Mmm, cabbage. Lots of vitamin C in cabbage, folks.